Welcome back to the Physicians Helping Physicians podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Michelle Mudge Riley. I changed careers back in the early 2000s, and I found it difficult to find credible, reliable resources to help me. So once I successfully transitioned to a non-clinical career, I made it my mission to help other physicians who were looking at a possible non-clinical or non-traditional career, whether part-time, full-time, or just diversifying their career with a non-clinical side gig. And I am here with another guest today, Dr. Armin Feldman. Hi, Armin. Hi, Michelle. How are you doing today? I'm great. It is such a beautiful sunny day, which is a nice change for us. We haven't had a ton of that. Yeah, right, right. So it's a pleasure to be here and be talking with you. Yeah, yeah. Well, why don't you just jump in and tell the listeners a little bit about you, your specialty and and what you do. Sure. So uh, that's an interesting question, actually. When people ask me, uh, of course, I'm a physician. And when people ask me what my specialty is, uh, I tell them it's uh, forensic medicine, because um, that's what I've been doing for the last 13 years. And also uh, working in uh, field medical legal consulting uh, that um, I really uh, uh, started 13 years ago and have been developing over the years and now has really turned into a subspecialty of uh, forensic medicine. But um, prior to that, um, I'm trained as a psychiatrist and psychoanalyst. And uh, it turns out that um, my area of specialty turned out to be mild traumatic brain injury. And I wound up owning outpatient head injury rehabilitation clinics uh, around the country uh, which I was eventually fortunate enough to uh, sell. And so I was looking uh, and thinking about what I wanted to do next. Uh, I was essentially out of a job at that point. And I thought, you know, I've testified as an expert witness uh, more times than I want to remember. And um, maybe what I could do at this point would be just to consult to attorneys on any kind of medical question that comes up in a case. And that turned out to be a, a unexplored niche, a good thing, and, and has evolved over the years. So uh, that's a little bit about uh, what I've been doing. Wow, how interesting. And so I guess you, you'd done some of the work, so you knew that this was an option, but when you decided to pursue this maybe from another angle, what was the first step? Right. Well, the first thing I should say is that, first of all, I don't work as a medical expert and I don't work in medical malpractice cases. Uh, so uh, this first step for me uh, was realizing that I was going to assist phys- uh, attorneys in a new way. So I was going to act as a medical consultant to attorneys rather than acting as a medical expert. And one of the things that uh, makes this kind of consulting viable and makes it go is that in the areas of the law in which I consult, uh, probably nine out of every 10 cases settle. And that's where medical consultants as opposed to medical experts come in. So anything that we can do 
as medical consultants, it's going to help the attorney to better negotiate and settle the case for better value with less attorney time, help the attorney get the appropriate medical care for their clients, and help the attorney negotiate the medical aspects of the case. That's something that a lot of attorneys are interested in. In fact, most attorneys are interested in. So the work is actually... Primarily, it's in workers' compensation cases and personal injury cases. Although, Michelle, I should tell you that any physician in any specialty can learn and can be trained to do this uh, kind of work. Wow, that sounds really interesting. Um, do, do you spend a lot of time looking through the, the case and, and the chart? And can it, I guess, walk us through what it looks like to do this work? Right. So uh, obviously uh, the attorney will uh, eventually will get on the phone. Uh, The attorney will tell me about the case uh, and then we'll send the medical records. So the first thing is to review all the medical records. Then um, in every case, uh, I always interview the client of the attorney. Now, 95% of the time, I'll do that interview by phone or now by Zoom meeting. Then, and that interview, the purpose is to clarify the medical records, uh, get the uh, current history, particularly uh, the pertinent things to the case, which are ongoing medical problems. Uh, And then at that point, I'm ready to do my research. Uh, I'll do whatever research that uh, I need to do to get up to speed. Uh, And then most of the cases, maybe 75, 80% of the cases will then uh, require uh, a report of some kind. Sometimes it's a verbal report. There are other services that don't require reports. But at that point, I'm then ready to uh, write my report and get it over to the attorney. So let me just um, try to clarify that a little bit. So uh, now, of course, this never happens to me anymore because uh, people in uh, in this uh, area, in this field, and the attorneys and legal systems, so forth, th- they know who I am now. But when I was starting out, let's say um, the issue had to do with a torn rotator cuff, and the attorney was trying to settle something in the negotiation uh, about that issue and asked me to prepare a report. So uh, I do what I just mentioned to you. Uh, I give my report to the attorney that hired me that attorney is going to send that report to opposing counsel. Well, what's opposing counsel going to do? They're going to look me up, right? And they're going to come back to the attorney that hired me and say, hey, why should I pay any attention to this report? Dr. Feldman isn't an expert in rotator cuffs. And what my attorney is going to say to them is, well, Dr. Feldman works as a medical consultant for me in all my cases. And I can tell you, if we can't get this issue negotiated out in a settlement, and you force me to take this based on Dr. Feldman's opinion, opinions in his report, and you force me to take this case to trial, When I hire my uh, retained orthopedic expert, I can tell you at trial, my orthopedic expert is going to say exactly what Dr. Feldman said in this report. In fact, he is relying on the same literature that my expert is going to uh, rely on at trial. So let's get this settled. And uh, that's uh, in a practical way how this works. 
I think you did a great job in explaining that. Thank you. So how do these attorneys find you? Right. So um, this is a new field. And when doctors and lawyers think about lawyers hiring doctors, they really only think of one thing, and that's hiring expert witnesses, medical experts. So um, the only way that attorneys are going to know that this exists is if physicians who do this, and of course, uh, uh, starting with me years ago, but um, physicians who do this uh, are going to have to call attorneys, meet with them uh, face-to-face. By the way, we're doing those face-to-face meetings by Zoom these days, but, uh, and educate the attorney and explain to them Uh, exactly what we're doing uh, and how it benefits the attorney, the case, uh, and the injured person. Um, And actually, that reminds me of uh, something else. One of the things that um, I really enjoy about this work is even though it's non-clinical work, you are really helping people, injured people, people that actually desperately need this this kind of help. And uh, you get to use your medical knowledge and see the uh, tangible results of how your consultations and other services actually help people in many ways help them to get back up on their feet. Yeah, I can see that. And that's a great service. And it also sounds like you get the chance to use your medical brain. (laughs) So it sounds very intellectually stimulating. Do you find that? Yeah, it's actually fun, you know, that um, I'm certainly uh, a more rounded and better doctor uh, based on all of the medical research that I've done over all of these years. Now, you know, I'm not prepared to do any uh, orthopedic or or neurosurgery, but I I certainly would put my uh, knowledge base of uh, spine injuries, rotator cuff injuries, many things uh, uh, really up against anyone. And so, some physicians, you know, they just like to stay in their lane. They, they just want to stay in their specialty. But right. physicians that um, enjoy medicine in general uh, have uh, some uh, intellectual curiosity uh, about medicine, enjoy lifelong learning, uh, and uh, are interested in uh, various aspects of medicine. This is really actually quite uh, stimulating. It's quite interesting. It's actually quite a lot of fun. And of course, you get paid for your research time, and uh, you really get to learn a lot about a lot of aspects of medicine. Yeah, and I'm glad you mentioned that you don't have to stay within your specialty or even have just one area of expertise. You can kind of go back to maybe why a lot of us went to medical school and what we enjoyed about it, which is learning a lot about all the aspects and understanding how everything works together and being able to pull that information and even look a little bit deeper into some of the other areas, depending on the case. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah, that's exactly how it works. Yeah, yeah. Well, and it also sounds like this is somewhat of having your own business and, you know, pros and cons to that. So could you speak a little to how how one kind of builds this, because it sounds like at first you do have to reach out to attorneys and, and really build your, your client base. And then they will start reaching out to you and maybe that will be repeat business. Is that what you find? 
Yes, that's exactly right. So, you know, we're all aware of the death of private practice these days. And uh, most doctors are nothing more than employees of uh, big corporations or uh, hospital systems. Mm -hmm. And this, uh, by the way, phys some physicians do this full time like me, others do it instead of retiring, but the vast majority of physicians who do this do it part time as part of an existing practice. Mm -hmm. And uh, it gives you the opportunity to be your own boss, set your own hours, set your own practice standards and so forth, uh, and really uh, enjoy the uh, benefits of uh, owning a small business in America and uh, owning your own, something that's your, yours, your own. And in my training courses, um, in my uh, coaching program and in my conferences, um, they're really about two things. Uh, they're about um, the business side. Uh, how do you start up and then how do you successfully uh, run long-term uh, a medical legal consulting business? And the training is about the medicine that you need to know. It's really about both things. So it gives you the opportunity to uh, be an entrepreneur and it gives you the opportunity to uh, be a physician and use your med uh, hard-earned medical knowledge. Yeah, for sure. So do you carry uh, malpractice or any kind of insurance to do this? Yeah, that's a good question. And there are actually several answers to that question. So let me give you the bottom line answer first. And that is a, a physician that wants to do this, if they are concerned about that, what, uh, what they should do is hire an attorney in their state and have that attorney give them a written opinion as to whether or not they need medical malpractice insurance. Now, now I'm not an attorney, but um, so take, take that for what it's worth. But I don't really think you need medical malpractice for doing this. I don't uh, carry it for this purpose. Um, I have done over uh, 3000 cases. All of my clients are attorneys. Now, now never say never, right? Cause it could happen tomorrow, but I, I think I do a good job, but also I've never come close to uh, a sniff of anyone threatening to sue me. Uh, I, and I think the main reason is what I'm at the bottom line, what I'm really hired to do is render medical opinions. So um, if you do that in good faith, you read the medical records, you interview the client, you do the appropriate research, uh, you're prudent uh, in your uh, thinking and in your uh, writing of reports. I mean, even if the attorney um, didn't like your opinion, which never happens, I'll tell you why in a second, but it's very hard to sue someone if you hired them to render an opinion, they do it in good faith, uh, even if they didn't like it. But, you know, Michelle, what that makes me think of is sometimes I'm asked by physicians, well, aren't you just a hired gun? Yeah. And one of the great things uh, about being on this side of the fence, that is working with plaintiff and claimant attorneys is that these attorneys, they want, and actually they value our straight up medical opinions. And these attorneys don't want to be carrying loser cases with their time and with their money. So uh, if I tell the attorney, look, I don't think you have a case here, uh, for whatever the reason, there's a pre-existing condition, uh, the person, it doesn't happen often, but the person's malingering, or maybe they're driven primarily by secondary gain or whatever, 
the attorney wants to know that. So then what happens is typically in those kind of cases, probably wouldn't write a written report. Uh, and at that point, I've rendered my opinion, I'm out of the case. What the attorney's going to do, so they're just going to try to settle that case as quickly as they can for whatever they can get. So I never face the kind of secondary gain issues that might face some physicians who are working on the insurance side. You see, I always work on the side of the little guy going up against the insurance companies, often their own insurance company that's uh, denying legitimate claims. We have kind of a crazy system in our country. Yeah, this is fascinating. I, I'm thinking that this is something a lot of physicians would be very interested in learning more about and learning how to do it, especially after hearing that it's so flexible that you can do it part-time, even full-time, you can start it out as a side gig. Right. But I know the next question people are going to be asking is what can I get paid to do this? And so could you give a range of fees, which I'm sure you get yeah. asked this and yeah, are the I fees do. different? Yeah, yeah I ahead. do. So, um, that's kind of a tricky question. I'll tell you why, because um, we have fair trade uh, laws, federal laws in this country. And um, uh, I can't talk specifics uh, about uh, what I charge because that's a violation of fair trade practices in the United States. It's actually against the law. You can get fined for talking about it in a setting like this. Um, but here's what I can tell you. Um, what, I have recommended to physicians in my uh, training programs and conferences over the years is do an informal survey of your colleagues. Determine what you think is the average fee per hour for doing medical expert work in your community. Now, obviously there's a range, uh, but it's not that hard to figure the average. Once you have in mind for your community what that average might be, as a medical consultant, you're going to come in maybe half to two thirds of that number, but um, whatever you think is reasonable. But if you take that number that I just said in multiple average cases, uh, somewhere between five and 12 hours, and if you multiply that hourly rate times that, you'll be very pleasantly surprised. Yeah, I think that's great advice too, and not to just focus in on one number and know that the amount you'll get paid probably varies depending on attorney, depending on um, case, depending on even the subject matter of the case. So yeah, not, that's not actually how I, I, the way I do it, I have charged one hourly fee for everything mm -hmm. that I do, whether mm -hmm. that is talking to the attorney, talking to the client, doing medical research, report writing, uh, and I send the uh, attorney an itemized bill uh, at the end of the case. And um, what the attorneys know is that um, I am on their team. I am part of the solution to the settlement. I am not part of the problem at the end of the case where there may be a limited amount of money to pay treating doctors, right? I'm not a treating doctor. So, um, and I expect to be paid as such. So when I deliver my bill at the end of my service, um, I expect to be paid in uh, 30 days and uh, as, a, as a, a, a vital member of the attorney's team towards the settlement. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. So you don't participate in any of the witness stand stuff. No, uh, here's what's going to happen. Um, first of all, remember nine out of 10 cases settle, right? So let's say I write uh, 10 reports and uh, the attorney can't use my report in the 10th case because they're going to trial. Uh, now, um, the attorney doesn't really care because if I wasn't valuable to them in those other nine cases, wasn't profitable to them in those other nine cases, they wouldn't use me anyway. But to get back to your question, even opposing counsel, everyone is going to stipulate for the purpose of a trial, right? Everybody's going to stipulate, I'm not an expert in everything. But for, so I'm never called for a deposition or, or to appear at trial as an expert. But the way our legal system works, physicians uh, can render medical opinions. So for the purpose of negotiating and settling the case, as long as I can back up my opinions with evi evidence, and I'm not using evidence in a generic sense, but rather in the legal sense. So my medical opinions are evidence uh, towards the, that the attorney uses. So, so in, a, in a legal case, there's a, what the attorney calls is a fact pattern. So there's a medical fact pattern, right? So then based on that fact pattern, they're going to develop theories for the case. And then they want to prove up those theories with evidence. That's the way our system works, right? So in my report, my opinions count as evidence. Uh, uh, the way I back up my opinions with evidence from the literature is evidence and helps the attorney prove up a particular, and there can be several theories for the case. So um, uh, back up um, their medical theories for the case based on uh, my reports that help them to the settlement. Now, if the case goes to trial, uh, then the, the way our system works, then the attorney will need medical experts in every area of injury but not for the, for the purpose of negotiating and settling the case. What the attorney needs are well thought out, well reasoned, uh, backed up by evidence from the literature, medical opinions, reports, and other services that will bring them to a more favorable settlement. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, there's a lot of work that goes into figuring out if a case is really something that should go to trial and then more if it does go to trial, but then your work is done and you've already, yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, yeah. They only go to trial if they can't settle, right? That's, that's what determines if they go to trial. If they can't settle the issues in the case, then the attorneys will file that case and uh, uh, in a PI case, typically in district court or in a workers' comp case and an administrative hearing at workers' comp system, but they'll file it for uh, a trial or administrative hearing. But most of the time, they're settling uh, without um, needing to take it to a trial. Yeah, yeah. So what about someone who is not board certified or not licensed? Maybe someone who mm -hmm. did their training in a different country or just never did right. a residency. Right. Can someone like that do this work? Yeah. So um, board certification doesn't matter because that's not an issue in this kind of work. Certainly an issue if you're going to trial, right? But what's at issue here is are your medical opinions uh, and uh, uh, other things that you that I comment on, uh, which I could talk about in a, in a minute, but um, uh, are they going to help towards the settlement? So now the issue about licensing, I suppose in an absolute sense, probably don't need a license, but um, 
you're not probably going to get any work unless you have a license because uh, the first thing that the opposing counsel is going to do is look you up and if they say, hey, this guy doesn't have a license. It's, um, it makes it much harder on the attorney that would hire you. So they're probably not going to want to use you. So, um, you know, my reports are certainly seen by opposing counsel. They're almost always seen by insurance adjusters. They're often seen by the judges, treating doctors, IME doctors and others. I gotcha. And how does someone learn how to write the report or, or even how to do this? You mentioned a course or conference. Can you tell the listeners where they can learn how to do this if they're just wanting to do this so badly? Sure, sure. So uh, I do have a a one year um, remote training program. But Right now, if, you've, if you're interested in this, uh, once a year, I do uh, a two-day conference, and it's really a crash course in how to do this. And in fact, Michelle, one of the very first things that I say at the conference is, when you leave this conference, you will have all of the tools and all of the instruction that you need to go in, in your local area and successfully do this. So the conference is uh, by live stream only this year, of course, and uh, it is April uh, 24th and 25th. And physicians that would be interested in the conference can go to the conference website and, and, uh, or register there. And that is MED, M-E-D, MED Legal. 2021.com. Great. That's great. And this will air before your conference. So they'll have a chance to go and sign up if they're really excited, but it it does sound like you hold this on an annual basis. Are you planning to continue that? Yeah, this is the eighth annual one. So I I don't see, I don't see any end in sight. This is something that is certainly in demand from attorneys and uh, it's also uh, certainly pique the interest of uh, physicians that uh, learn about it. As I said, I, I've, I've trained about 1,600 physicians over the past 11 years. Wow. What, what's the hardest part about doing this work? Uh, I don't know if this is the hardest part, but one of the things that I uh, teach my trainees is that you need, uh, at a minimum, about eight hours a week in order to do this justice and make it fly. And I tell people, look, if you don't have eight hours a week, don't, don't do this. It's not going to work for you. But the biggest, uh, perhaps the biggest reason why physicians, maybe the only reason, but the biggest reason why physicians fail at this is that they refuse to carve out uh, that two things, I guess, uh, refuse to carve out that minimum eight hours a week. And you've got to take it as seriously as anything else you do in your professional life. Now, if you don't, you know, make it fall into those two pitfalls and just follow the system, follow the recipe that uh, I've uh, laid out for uh, uh, my uh, colleagues in terms of training on how to do this, uh, you'll be successful. Yeah, I can see that. You you do have to focus on something and get into it in order to make that thing successful. So, okay, that's great to have that minimum, that eight hours to get started. Um, what, what about someone who is interested but kind of wants to dip their toe in? Do you have a podcast or 
um, a free ebook or anything like that where they could learn a little bit more first? Yeah, actually, um, I think that the, uh, the, there's kind of a base of knowledge that you, you need to even understand, you know, what this is all about. So the sticking your toe in really uh, is the conference. And uh, then if you want to get uh, some advanced training after that, it's available. But uh, the conference is really the way to go. It's a weekend. It's a Saturday and Sunday. Uh, and that would be the way to get up to speed. Or even if you just have some passing interest. The conference is worth uh, 15 Category 1 CMEs. So uh, there's some value there, too. Oh, yeah, that's great. Yeah, I know. I know how that's so important that my conference also has uh, CME approval. And it's, it's a great thing for physicians. I'm glad you guys have that. You know, I'd love to have you at a future conference of mine as well, just talking about this. So we'll talk a little offline about that. But um, I'm, I'm really excited that you've shared this and you've given us so much great stuff today. Um, as we're kind of wrapping up here, um, back just to kind of end on a positive note, what's your favorite part about doing this work? I'm not sure I have one favorite part. Um, I, uh, I, I really like the idea that I'm doing something non-clinical, but I know I'm really helping people. Uh, it is uh, quite intellectually stimulating uh, and uh, it, you know, it's quite lucrative as well. And I should tell you for the entire time I've done this, I've worked out of a home office. So um, sometimes, by the way, my dogs bark and I have to say, sorry, it's one of my assistants barking. But, uh, but I would say, <laughs> that, you know, all of those things really. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, a lot of us work out of a home office or um, just more of a non-traditional type of a work setting. It's, it's such a common thing these days. So I'm sure people understand that. Sure. Yeah. 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 Great. Well, Armin, thank you so much for being on today, for taking time to explain this and really just for enlightening the listeners on something else that it's not advertised. I mean, I'm sure you put information out there, but it's hard to find this kind of stuff. So I know there are going to be some people who are interested in learning more, visiting your website, hopefully coming to your conference. And um, yeah, thank you for just being with us today. Sure. Pleasure to talk with you. Thank you listeners for being part of the Physicians Helping Physicians podcast. Stay tuned for our next episode and have a great day. Thanks for taking the time to listen to this Physicians Helping Physicians podcast. If you are jazzed up after listening to this, hit that subscribe button or check out more at Physicians Helping Physicians, www.phphysicians with an S on the end.com. Thanks for listening. We appreciate you.